Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of VLGA Connect. It's great to have you with us. And I'm joined today by Sarah Tui, who's the CEO of the Community Housing Industry Association of Victoria, to talk about some exciting guides that have just come out for councils. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Welcome to the program and thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. Social and affordable housing and the role of councils, it's a it's quite a vexed and complex issue, not just in Victoria, but right around Australia. And we saw that at the National General Assembly uh, just this past week with a number of motions relating to the housing crisis. Um, tell us a little bit about your role in trying to solve some of these complex problems. Uh, absolutely. So as you said, Chris, it is a vexed issue. There's lots of players coming in to try and solve this problem together. Everyone's got different motivations. Everyone's got different restrictions and parameters. Um, and so we've what Chia Vic has done has worked with the Municipal Association of Victoria to develop up two really clear guides about using the planning system for affordable housing and how councils can use their own council resources to support the growth of social and affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and those resources go through all the different options about how you can do it, about what the different structures are, about what the different drivers are for councils, for community housing providers and developers. Because actually what we found is that um, the conflicting and competing motivations of those three parties chew up a lot of time in trying to understand where everyone's coming from. If we can get to the point where we understand everyone's constraints, you can start a negotiation at a point where, um, you know, it it just moves the conversation along, cuts out a bit of time um, of all of that because these guides are really useful. They're very clear. They're very succinct. um, But even after you decide on on the mechanism you're going to use, there's a lot of work to do. So this is about cutting out some of that early work for councils and housing policy officers and strategic planners about how you do you know, what's available? What are the tools we can use? How do we get to the meaty part of this conversation, which is the what? Yes, it's it's like you've you've done the work for the options paper that generally a council would start with, wouldn't they? What are our options here? What does it mean for us? So is your thinking that a council could pick this up and just contextualise it for their circumstance and have a lot of that legwork already completed? Absolutely. That's the goal. That's the goal of this. So, we've you know, we've scoped your options. We've, we've worked through how different options work better or worse for different parties. Um, and then you can bring that to the table and say, all right, well, this is the bit of land we want. This is the rezoning we're going to work on. Um, and, and really be quite clear and specific about what you can do in your municipality. Uh, did I read that Homes Victoria has contributed to the development of this? Was it something that arose out of what they were saying uh, to you or hearing from the sector? Or have you picked up on, on this yourself? Um, so this project is a bit of an evolution. So back in 2018, the Victorian government introduced changes to the Planning and Environment Act, 
which allowed for or made explicit the use of voluntary agreements in planning um, to deliver affordable housing. So we started with the MAV back then on working with councils, developers and the community housing sector on building a broad understanding. Um, that's a lot of work across 40 community housing providers and 79 local government areas and countless developers. Yeah. Um, so it, it's real. So that was, you know, it's been a slow burn. And through the evolution of those conversations, it became quite clear that this was a resource that would help just cut out that, op, you know, that option scoping work and get us much faster to the meaty conversation of, all right, well, what and where? So every day I think I see a different example coming out of a council somewhere of how they're trying to tackle this housing crisis, let's call it what it is. How much of those particular examples have informed the work that you've done? Um, quite a lot. So a lot of the work that councils have, um, and, and it's also internationally, um, yeah. there's lots of different models um, that have been used internationally, and we talk a bit through all those different models. So um, there's a lot of work being done around trusts, which is unfortunately probably the most labour-intensive and complex and costly model. And so the one we don't recommend as as strongly as some of the others. Um, but, you know, councils now are doing great work about looking at airspace above um, their council assets, and that's something the City of Port Phillip has been doing for decades now. So it's, it's about actually socialising that more broadly. I hope we start looking at air rights above council assets that aren't just car parks. Yeah. You know, how do you use your libraries better, um, that kind of thing. So there was an example just this week, wasn't there, out of Greater Shepparton, where a proposal to sell the airspace for $1, as it turned out, was voted down by the council. Now, to their credit, on the same agenda, they, they passed a sale of land for a 45-dwelling uh, social housing development. But it just shoots home the political challenges that councils are experiencing around community expectations or misconceptions about what these developments mean. Do your toolkits go any way towards helping councils with those parts of the problem? These toolkits are very specifically about the technical part of the problem, but part of CHIA's work as an advocacy body is to help with that awareness raising and political aspect. So we've been talking, um, we went up and I went up and spoke to the Shepparton Council about um, the need for social housing in their area and in particular some evidence from other councils about essentially riding out political opposition because that's that's what the evidence says is that as councillors people need to um, recognise that there's some initial fear um, and that fear often gets dressed up as concern around parking and density and but you dig a bit deeper and it's more about who's going to live next door and I'm not yeah. sure I want them there. Yeah, fears about, um, and unfounded in most cases, about crime rates going up, about the type of person coming into the neighbourhood, etc. It's a fear of the unknown really though, isn't it? Exactly. And part of our work at Chia is about a demystifying that because actually 30% of community housing tenants are over 55. Like we're talking about, oh, we're talking generally about older people, a lot of single parents, um, a lot of people living with disabilities. Port Phillip, City of Port Phillip did a great piece of work about 10 years ago now that looked at the life cycle of community opposition to these kinds of projects. And what it found was 
obviously very great resistance at the start, often a very mobilised community. Um, when council had pushed through post-occupancy surveys, either people didn't notice or didn't care or actually thought positively of the development. So it is really about getting over that hump of the fear of the unknown and councils and council laws sticking to their guns about the broader population. You know, they're, they're in, obviously they're elected representatives, um, but you've got to think about the broader electorate, not just the very vocal. And your toolkit uses some of those positive outcomes as examples of what we're aiming to achieve with these initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. And there's just a plethora of things popping up now that show you exactly how innovative community housing partnerships can be. Um, there's often really great and very high design requirements. So they're contributing to the public realm in a way that your standard developers aren't necessarily. Mm. Um, and I think if you went and had a look at some of those, and I think that is part of the work of, again, of Chia is showcasing some of those really innovative designs and the contribution to the public realm because um, we can do things as non-profit developers that that the develop profit for-profit development industry just don't go that extra mile for. Yeah. I noticed the, the Housing Minister and the Minister for Planning, Richard Wynne, launched these, uh, these guides recently and the state government's role here is pretty clear. What about the role of the federal government? Has something changed there in recent times? Uh, we have seen a massive shift yeah. in the recent um, in the recent election. I mean, the previous government was very clear to say that housing is not a federal government responsibility, um, erroneously, in fact, because since 1945, it's been a Commonwealth and state partnership. Um, and so with the recent election, the federal Labor government has a commitment to building 30,000 new social and affordable housing properties across the country in the next five years. That is a fantastic start. And I hope that, that they use that as a bit of a way to reinvigorate the partnerships with state and local government. Um, because, you know, um, nothing brings people to the table like a commitment to funding. So was that 30,000 in five years? Was that the number you quoted? Yes. What, has anyone actually looked at the national uh, requirement for housing and what does that number look like? The National Housing Investment and Finance Corporation, NIFIC, has done a bit of a supply analysis. It's a much bigger number. It's an absolutely massive challenge for governments, state, federal and local. And that's sort of why we're talking about the need for that cross-government partnership because, um, because the funding gap is so large, and NIFIC estimated I think it was a $26 billion investment that was needed. Wow. Um, to bridge that gap, it's not just one government and it's, and it's actually all levels of government and the development industry, I think, having a, a real look at how we can improve um, the supply of social and affordable housing. So on that, these kits, which are terrific, but they're clearly aimed at the Victorian sector, what's the applicability to other jurisdictions or are your equivalents in other states doing similar work? So there's some applicability. So, you know, there's some technical parts of the Victorian planning scheme that this goes into and negotiating Section 173 agreements, but there's other bits that are applicable across other jurisdictions. So the use of housing trusts, the motivations of the development industry, the considerations 
of the community housing industry and what's going to work best. Um, all of those models are applicable across um, across local governments right across Australia. So just tell us a bit before we wrap up, what's in these toolkits? I, I gather most of it's probably aimed at the practitioners working in councils, but you've got some summary pieces that would be really useful, I think, for engaging elected level representatives with the topic as well. Is that your intent? That is absolutely our intent. So I think you put it really well earlier, Chris, that it is about just jumping that options paper step. So stepping out what the options are, the pros and cons, really clearly the risks, of obviously, of the variety of different mechanisms um, and the steps involved in all the different processes. So, um, yes, we get kind of deep into the weeds for the practitioners and then we've done some really short, sharp summary documents that can be used for decision makers to give them a really good framework for how we should start thinking about these things. So, Sarah, where can people find all of this information that you've put together? Um, the resource pack's available on our website at chiavic.com.au under the Developing Affordable Housing section. Terrific. And uh, kudos also to the Municipal Association of Victoria who's worked with you in partnership on this and, of course, Home Victoria uh, who have been involved as well. And to your organisation, just quickly about uh, Community Housing Industry Association of Victoria. I note there's a national body without the Victoria on the end that you're affiliated with or, or associated with that group. Yes, we're affiliated with the Chair National. We've got a board member from Victoria who sits on the Chair National board and we work closely with Chair National on um, getting the federal government very excited and very involved in the delivery of community housing. And, and your background, we're probably out of time, Sarah, but you've got a strong background, I gather, in housing and homelessness services over quite some years. Yeah, so my first job was actually in homelessness service delivery and I've been mainly in this sector ever since. Um, working in policy and advocacy roles because I think the first thing I learnt in my first job in homelessness is that it's nothing, you can't do anything about it without the homes. Congratulations on this terrific piece of work. Um, good luck with uh, getting traction with it across the sector. I'm sure many councils will find it really useful and it would be nice to check in maybe a little bit down the track to look at some examples of how these toolkits have helped progress the issue with some councils, if you're up for that. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Look forward to it, Chris. Great to meet you and thanks for your time. Thanks very much. That's Sarah Tui, the CEO of the Community Housing Industry Association of Victoria with us today on VLGA Connect. Mm -hmm.